Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in. Good Thursday to you. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. We're also brought to you today by Discover Card. We treat you like you treat you. And finally, True Car. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident, car buying experience this is a confident show it's outkick the coverage thursday edition clay travis in los angeles all week long i have been in for and with him i'm jason martin formerly the producer on this show fill in for him usually when he's out i'll be on next week as well uh later in the week for thanksgiving and the day after thanksgiving clay was at the lakers game last night did you see him on tv danny did anyone see Clay Travis last night on television? Did I miss something because I still have him muted on Twitter? <laughs> I did see Clay on TV. He was holding up a sign that said hashtag future Laker, and then there was an arrow with a picture of his fifth grader. Ah, you're kidding, obviously, because he's not carrying signs. Clay Travis not a sign carrier, I don't think. But he saw a good game, or and, and he saw a good performance by LeBron James this point if you're going to see the Lakers you want to go see LeBron play the way LeBron did last night fifth in the scoring now with the 44 points last night yeah he did pick a good one to go to and 
He was just an assist away, LeBron was, from the triple-double. And, of course, Ingram had to airball it at the very end of the game. That would have been that last assist that LeBron needed. So there's the hashtag future Laker that we've been doing on this show for a long time that got way out of control with you guys wanting basically everybody that's ever scored points in the NBA to be a future Laker. Not you, sure what you're are talking you starting about. To, By the way, yeah, Zion Williamson, Zion, no. hashtag future Laker. Yeah. Uh, do you think that Brandon Ingram's going to be a future somewhere else as opposed to a future Laker? Are you looking forward to not having him on the <laughs> Lakers? I don't know. Well, we talked about this here in the studio this past week because when Jimmy Butler got traded finally by the Wolves, Roberto was yelling at me about, man, they should have just given Ingram to the Wolves straight yep. up for, for Butler. You know, that would have been better than Covington. Although, those uh, uh, those couple of dudes that uh, that the Sixers traded away, they actually look good in the first game they played. You I know. mean, those guys can play. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, if Covington can keep up that play all season long, but he looked good. I mean, he can play. He can play defense. He's not going to score for him. Sarich is going to score yeah. a little bit for Sarich him. Sarich had the game winner in yeah. his first game, so it's looking good so far there with that trade. But and of course, Butler loses his first time out as a Sixer. Um, yeah, I you know I don't know. It's still early to say that that sleepy, as we call him, is a bust because. <laughs> Uh, Ingram always looks kind of a little dazed out there on the floor. And then, and, yeah, he looks a little Koopa Loop out there, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, well, no. But then there's times where he gets fired up and, and he's and he hits all these threes and the Jays and he looks good. He's so inconsistent right now. So I don't know if that's his age. He's got to play a whole season. And his lack healthy. of experience. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to see him just look fired up for an entire stretch of games, though. Uh, and I, I don't want to judge him too early. All right. Fair enough. Well, the NBA is happening, but the NFL is also happening. This is a really good weekend, guys, when you look at primetime games. And it begins tonight with what could be a knockout game in some respects in the NFC playoff push as the Packers travel to Century Link Field to play the Seattle Seahawks. That kick about 8-15 tonight. There have been some good Thursday night games. There have been some dogs, too, thanks to your Oakland Raiders, which, by the way, Danny... Are you kidding me with Raiders versus Cardinals on Sunday? That's a football game that's actually being played. Like, one of those two teams is going to win a football game on Sunday. I don't know that I've seen a less appetizing matchup in the NFL in a long time than Oakland at Arizona. Not sure what you're talking about. That's That's exciting. That's Derek Carr versus Josh Rosen. Do we have cricket sounds or I mean, I, we need a whole lot of sound bites just to contextualize how terrible that is. But we got Green Bay at Seattle tonight. Sunday night game on NBC is going to be the Vikings at the Bears. That should be a heck of a game. And then of course Monday, Shakira has moved us back to LA, but it will be Chiefs and Rams. I think the Rams are actually going to be favored in that game even without Cooper Cup. But let's talk a little bit about the second tier. And by the way, Clay's going to be coming up. He's on his way to the Fox lot. He's going to sit down with Joel Klatt coming up in the next segment. Joel usually joins this show on Fridays, but we've moved him up one. Today we're going to have Joel Klatt. We're going to play the second of the Nawab Shafat Ali Khan Tiger Hunter interviews from India. And then in uh, hour three, we're going to have our good friend Alex Marvez, and we will chat some NFL with him. But Packers and Seahawks are certainly in that second-tier mix. There are what? How many great teams do you think there are in the NFL right now? You've got the Rams, 
you've got the Chiefs, you've got the Saints, who I think right now are the consensus best team in the league. I think the Patriots are still kind of right there, but I would have the Steelers and the Chargers above them at the time. But the Pats are seven and three. Steelers are six and two. The Texans are leading the AFC South at six and three. Big time Monday night football game coming up a week from Monday with the Tennessee Titans, Houston hosting them. Houston's already lost to the Titans. The Titans in second place in the division. If they were able to sweep that, that would be very intriguing for their chances in terms of the postseason. Then in the NFC, you've got the Redskins with a two-game lead over the Cowboys. The Bears right now leading the NFC North with the Vikings right on their tail, so that's why that Sunday night game is so huge. The Saints with a two-game lead over the Panthers, but they've still got to play them twice. And then the Rams... At nine and one, if Seattle loses tonight and the Rams win on Monday, they clinch the NFC West in Week Eleven. That is absolutely a true statement. They are the one team that actually can clinch this soon in division and already have their ticket punched. But it's a tough ask to take Aaron Rodgers and say your team is four and four. You're looking up at two teams in your division with the Vikings one game above you. The Bears two games above you, although if you remember the first week of the season, the Bears had the Packers on the ropes, and we saw one of those Aaron Rodgers virtuoso performances where he was able to come back basically from the dead and win that football game when he had absolutely no right doing so. Remember that first half, Khalil Mack was just unblockable and all over the place. Then he sort of ran out of gas. He had not been at full game speed either because he had missed camp and all the things that were going on out there out there in Oakland. So it looked like he was a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued. He's back healthy now, and they look awfully good. Trubisky is starting to round into form. If Green Bay were to fall to 4-5, and five, that would really portend problems for them going forward. And then you look at the Seahawks. Again, if the Seahawks lose and the Rams win, which certainly could happen, then the Rams have already won that division, and Seattle is in that mix playing for the wild card. But let's stay in the NFC since that's our game tonight, guys. Dallas at four and five, Philly at four and five with the loss to Dallas, Minnesota at five and three, Green Bay at four and four, Panthers at six and three, Seahawks at four and five. Maybe you want to throw the Falcons in at four and five. Of those teams that I just named, which are the ones that you look at and say, all right, I feel better about those, let's say those two teams, because those will be the wild card spots. Which two would you pick right now if you had to pick? If it were me, I feel like Minnesota has a good chance to get there, and I still believe in Carolina. I don't necessarily think that Carolina falls off a cliff because they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers on a short week. Those Thursday night games are really hard to predict. The Steelers were absolutely rolling. The Panthers had been playing great football, but they were sort of due for a dud performance, and both of those two things congealed together to formulate into a bad night. But if it were me, I would go with Carolina and Minnesota, although I respect a lot what Seattle has done. They let the Legion of Boom go. They let a lot of that defense go. Certainly Earl Thomas got hurt. That's on the Seahawks. That whole situation was was very unfortunate. But they're still playing awfully well, and tonight they're actually a three-point favorite over Green Bay as the game's going to be played in Seattle. So you guys looking at the NFC, who do you like? As you know, because we did this when Jeff Schwartz was filling in with you and Clay was on vacation before the season started, Clay's given me a lot of grief on the show because I've been pumping up the Panthers because I was the only one on the show back when you and Jeff were going division by division to pick the Panthers. So I got to stay with Cam Newton. And, and if 
Of course, I've been waving the McCaffrey flag all season long because he's just looked like a pro bowler. So yeah, he has. I'm right there with you as far as the Panthers go. Where I'm wondering what's going to happen as we wrap up the season, as we get into the home stretch here, is the Washington Redskins. Are they going to finally get over the hump? I don't think they're very good, Danny. If I that's that's my problem with them. Like I I don't necessarily believe in them, and I like Alex Smith, and I've defended him on this show many times. But let's talk. Let's look at the rest of the schedule for the Redskins. They've got Houston on Sunday. The Houston Texans that have won six games in a row. That is not going to be an easy game, especially with the way J.J. Watt and the defense is playing. The offensive line's coming around. Deshaun Watson looks healthy. Lamar Miller's running it well, and we know what those receivers can do. We'll see what Demarius Thomas looks like in his second game in a Texans uniform. DeAndre Hopkins, one of the three, four best receivers in the league, however you want to slice it. Then they go to Dallas. That's a divisional game on Thanksgiving like it is every year. The Cowboys know they've got to win the game. The Redskins could, at that point, have lost two games in five days and then be sitting at 6-5. and five. But they go from the Houston game at home to Dallas to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, I don't think, thinks that they're out of it yet. Maybe they're not out of it. They look out of sorts, but I'm not sure they're actually out of it. Then they play the Giants. They should win. They go to Jacksonville, even with the defense as it should be playing. The defense has not been playing that well, so I think they should beat the Jags. Then they go to Tennessee. That's not an easy place to play. Tennessee doesn't lose at home very often. The Ravens are the only team that can boast a victory over them at home, and that includes the Patriots and the Eagles, who both went there and lost earlier in the season. Then they play Philly again to end the season. They have it, certainly, within their power to win the vast majority of the games left on their schedule, but they've also got a chance to drop a few in division and I just don't necessarily trust the Redskins. So we'll continue to talk about this as we move through the show. We are getting down to the last several weeks of the NFL season. We can start to point to schedule strength and matchups to see who stacks up the best to win these wild card spots and make it to the playoffs out of all these divisions. So we'll do that. We'll talk more about this Warriors drama as well. The Marcus Thompson piece in the Athletic is unbelievable. Uh, I didn't think it was a deal, and then I read that piece, and now I'm thinking, okay, maybe it is a little bit of a deal. we got Joel Clack coming up on the other side as Clay's going to grab the headphones and sit down with him. But before we get to all that, i got to tell you, we know you're a big sports fan. I mean, you're listening to this station. Football season's here, obviously. A lot of people are excited to wager on these games. You can get in on the action with MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website. It offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side. You can take the total. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score. MyBookie.net lets you play online and win big. Use promo code CLAY when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Did the game already kick off? You don't have to sweat that either. MyBookie.net has in-game live action on every major league event, even on eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie.net than today. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and start winning. Use the promo code CLAY, C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Get in on the action. Visit MyBookie.net's website today. Promo code CLAY to get a 100% sign-up bonus. MyBookie.net, promo code CLAY, 100% bonus, no deposit necessary, terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only, void where prohibited. Back in a moment with Clay and Joel Klatt. 
Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back. Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more con car buying experience. I've got Joel Klatt with me right now at Joel Klatt on Twitter. He joins us every single week and uh, he is joining me early in the morning here in LA as we get ready for another weekend of college football. So I'm going to jump right in with you. I want to go straight hypotheticals, right? We didn't really have anything change overall in the uh, in the top 10. Nothing substantial at all. Two c- tough calls that I think are out there. I'm going to start with this one. Georgia beats Alabama. Have you changed your mind, or do you still think 12-1 and Michigan gets in? What do you think the committee does, and what do you think they should do? So there's there's two two reasons why I would think the committee would lean towards Michigan. And and let me start with the premise that last year, people are, are constantly bringing up last year and what they did with Alabama and Ohio State, but I actually think it's a bad comparison because Ohio State had two losses. Remember, they had the OU and Iowa loss, so the committee was able to skirt the term comparable teams. And they got around that and just said, well, they're not comparable, so we don't have to go to the conference championship. Even though the week prior they did say they were comparable, then they skirted that when when the rubber hit the road. So there's that. They would have the exact same record, and I think they would have to explain away with great detail why they felt Alabama was just so far and away more deserving than, than Michigan at that point. Now, here's the other part of this. If Michigan wins out in this hypothetical scenario, they would be the first team in the in in history to win all nine games of a nine-game conference schedule and a conference championship game. So they would be the first team in, in history of college football to win 10 conference games, essentially, win that conference's championship, and with the emphasis that the committee and the commissioners are supposed to put on conference championships— they would I think their hands would be tied at that that position. Now, I'm not suggesting that Alabama even with a loss is a worse team than Michigan. I just think that they would include Michigan on those two bases. Do you at all factor in if Vegas would say which they would, Alabama's two touchdowns better than Michigan? Do you, should the committee consider in any way? Like you well, talked about the fact that Central Florida so they Bama consider would be that favored. now, but if yeah. after a loss and if Michigan were to beat Ohio State and Northwestern, maybe that's different. Maybe that's an eight point margin for Vegas. Now I don't think that the committee would would actually consider Vegas. I hear you though, and we look at the same models. Heck, I hate it, but you've actually gotten me to bring them up. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, mean, I, I think because it's, th- it's true. At some point, I think here's the bottom line. In your hypothetical scenario, if they were to include Alabama, I believe that the playoff ends. Meaning I think it, it ends as four and goes to eight, or what it happens? It blows up. Something happens to it. Either the criteria is changed, and they say that only champions can go, or it goes to six, or it goes to eight, but that happens almost immediately. Um, we, I think that the impetus to this playoff was LSU Alabama and what was that eleven? Yes. Uh, and and I think that we would absolutely get some change or iteration of change almost immediately if Alabama as a non-champ were included over a Michigan team that was the first team in the history of our sport to go ten and zero in a league and not get in, in particular with a league that is quite frankly as good and has as much tradition as the Big Ten. All right, so let's go to the other, I think, really fascinating hypothetical. And this is going to drive you crazy because I know you've argued how important head-to-head is. 
what if Notre Dame loses a close game this weekend to Syracuse? Could easily happen, right? Syracuse playing really well, lost a tight game to Clemson, lost in overtime to Pitt. They're sitting right now at 8-2. and two. Dino Babers had a heck of a year for Syracuse. Wouldn't be a huge surprise if that happened. And then Michigan goes on and wins out, finishes 12-1. and one. I can see your face already. You're nervous yeah. about this. Head-to-head, only one can get in, Notre Dame or Michigan, who you got? That's a te- I mean, it's a terrible scenario. Right. Um, two ways to look at this. You just go with the head-to-head and Notre Dame goes. Tie break. Which I think I would be fine with. Candidly, I don't have a preference. I'm just going to lay out, I think, their their path. Yes. If you want to include Notre Dame, it's very easy. You say, we saw the game, they go. And if, they're losing to Syracuse, so it's not like they're losing to a team that's so bad, you would say. I know yeah, you think Syracuse, I mean, I think is, Syracuse overrated, is garbage. But, but Syracuse right. could finish 10-2. and two, Sure. Right? So, I mean, so and, you've and got would that. be in a really good uh, bowl game. And it would be considered a neutral site that's closer to Syracuse than Correct. it is South Bend and uh, Yankee Stadium. Or you would go the path of, we've seen the committee pound a league and teams for not playing a conference championship game, i.e. Baylor and TCU. Now, Baylor and TCU are a far different brand than Notre Dame. So it remains to be seen what happens and what the overall impact is of not being in a league and not winning a conference championship game and not playing that 13th game. Um, I think that would be the avenue, although I do think that that one's a, a more... That's a darker road to go down, candidly. I would I would lean, even though I think Michigan would beat them now, I would lean towards including Notre Dame. We saw the game. You know, we saw the game. Now, here's the, here's the other really, I think, interesting part of that. I think if that happens, that is like music to the ears of Oklahoma fans because all of a sudden they can sneak in as well. Like you could, in theory, get Oklahoma in there. Um, I think that that's a, a very plausible scenario um and i think you could get in theory i I don't think i'm thinking of this wrong you could get notre dame and michigan in the playoff yeah look i don't think that's impossible at all and and look right now it looks simple and if you know this i know this anybody who's a big college football fan knows this what appears to be simple typically in college football is not usually simple in other words bama going 13-0 clemson going 13-0 and notre dame going 12-0 the odds of getting three undefeated teams are pretty low, right? I mean, if anything we learn in college football chaos, you know this, down the stretch, the pressure gets ratcheted up. So it could be incredibly simple. Michigan goes 12-1, and one, those other three teams go undefeated. We know exactly who gets in. Do you expect to see some chaos down the stretch? We should expect it. We Based should. on everything yeah. we've seen about college football in the last two generations, that's 100%. what we get, right? 100%. And, and quite frankly... You know, when you look at at the at the history of college football, you don't get a lot of teams that, or a lot of years in which there's multiple undefeateds. In fact, if you're looking at kind of a history of college football, the only times since like '92, which is what I would consider like the championship era, that you have three undefeated teams going into the bowl season. It happened in 2009 with Texas, Alabama, and Cincinnati, so it didn't really matter because it's Cincinnati. In 04, everyone remembers USC, Oklahoma, and Auburn. And then in 1993, a lot of people forget that West Virginia, Nebraska, and all Auburn, which was uh, ineligible at that time, they were undefeated. And the Texas A&M, Miami, and Alabama in 92 were undefeated. Um, it could happen. Uh, I think that we're going to get some some chaos 
I think last week showed more cracks in the foundation for Alabama than any other week, even in a shutout victory, because what Mississippi State proved is that if you had a good enough defense, you could slow down and stop that offense to the tune of half of what they normally generate from a a scoreboard perspective. They were averaging 50 points. They got held right around the mid-20s. That's good news for Georgia and Clemson and Michigan and Notre Dame. Uh, And now the the question remains, like, what can an offense do against Alabama? My contention would be that there's a few offenses, namely one of them being Oklahoma, that no defense in college football can hold under 40 points. So if OU were to play against Alabama, it would be incredibly exciting, but I ultimately think that it would be something in the neighborhood of, like, 58-42 Probably Alabama because they wins wouldn't that be game. able to stop Alabama no, either. I want to ask you about this. Alabama. So, did you see the hits? It seems to me that people are recognizing that Alabama with Tua is great. Alabama without Tua is just good, right? A couple of those hits Mississippi State put on him looked designed that they were going right at his knee. You know, early against LSU, he took a helmet right to the groin, right? And I know he's moving, and it's difficult to know exactly where you're gonna look, where you're gonna hit. Yeah. But do you feel when you've watched these games like people are trying to take Tua out maybe in a way that's different than a normal game or a normal opponent? If there weren't the targeting rules, then yes, it would be very clear that they're trying to take him out. But because of the targeting rules, and in particular against high-profile quarterbacks, which can be considered almost all the times in a defenseless position, I think players are forced to go low. Um, so I don't know. It's certainly, listen, I think what you're suggesting uh, certainly seems like what is happening. I, I think that they're going low. In other words, and what I mean by that is a lot of times you play against somebody really good. You think, hey, if we play our perfect game, we can beat them. Sure. It seems like a lot of teams that are going against Alabama right now are saying, even if we play our perfect game, we they're can't just beat too good. Unless Jalen not plays. in. Right. And we get Jalen Hurts, there's a big difference. They go from great to good. And there, listen, there is a big difference. Again, if there weren't the targeting rules, you think it'd be more pronounced. A hundred percent. Same hits, same situations. I would say absolutely something's happening right now. They're trying to knock him out of the game. But because of of all these targeting rules, what you see a lot of times, whether it's against running backs, wide receivers, tight ends over the middle, against Gronkowski in the NFL, college football, defensive players go low constantly. So I can't say definitively this year that it's just Tua. Would you play Tua against Citadel if No. You- no, that's crazy and, and old school and dumb, quite frankly. The the most important player on Alabama's roster is Tua Tungavailoa. There is zero reason to play him against the Citadel. I don't care if you're trying to say that we take every game seriously because you don't have to. You're 51-point favorites. It's the Citadel, for goodness sake. Like, they throw the ball for under 100 yards per game, and they give up over 250 yards passing th- per game. You're going to beat them by a million points if you really wanted to. And to me, it just seems short, short, short-sighted. And candidly, it's, it's, I don't think it's a good plan. So as we look forward now in, uh, in the college football, what do you think is going to happen with West Virginia and Oklahoma State? You've seen these teams play quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is West Virginia going to win? I think it's fair to say Oklahoma is going to beat Kansas. So yeah. how big of a Friday game is that going to be in Morgantown? I mean, I I think it's going to be massive with Oklahoma. I mean, the, the Oklahoma State thing is interesting because West Virginia, you know, at times they've played solid defense, but then at times they, they have shown – that they can't stop anybody. Namely, they couldn't stop Texas in that game a couple of weeks back that that Gus and I ha- had. Um, 
you know, when you look at, they're going to face two teams that have averaged over 500 yards of offense this year, Oklahoma State and OU. That's West Virginia has to finish their season. Yeah, that's what West Virginia has to finish their season. So basically, Will Greer and that offense have to play some of their perfect football. Now, for the majority of the season, they've done that. In every game outside of Iowa State, they've scored over 35 points, averaging about 44, and they're averaging about 480 yards per game in every other game outside of Iowa State. So have they done that? Yes. Has Oklahoma State and Oklahoma shown any ability to stop anybody on defense? No. Um, I think West Virginia's got a great shot to win both of those games, and the fact that OU has to play in Morgantown is just a huge deal. A huge deal, and quite frankly, that's what Ohio State and and Washington State, they're hoping that there's some sort of split in the Big 12 so that they can have some path to the uh, college football playoff. You will be calling... Michigan against Ohio State, oh. which has the potential to be a absolutely massive game. Um, just a monster. So I know how much you're excited about this because you are, like, in addition to having the job that you have, sometimes guys get to our jobs and they don't really care that much about the outcome. You know some of these guys that, that, that you know, do what we do and, like, that's just kind of, like, you get... And not only outcome, they don't care about, about the sport. Yes. You know, they're just doing it as a job. So you I'm get, certainly not in that category. Yeah, I care get, way too much about the sport. You get chills in your arms and everything else like a lot of the fans will when these games start. So I want to ask you a couple things. One, how do you address, when you know it's going to be a massive audience, all the off-field drama with Ohio State, as your preparation goes, when you're actually calling the game, take people into that window of preparation for a game. How much of that is a story? How much is not a story? Does it detract from what's happening on the field? How do you hit the right balance to talk about Ohio State? Yeah, I think, first of all, Gus has a great feel yeah. for for what we need to hit on, but he also is unbelievable in knowing that all we need to do is hit on it, address it, and move on. We don't have to sit there. I think too many broadcasts will sit on it yes. or not touch it at all right. and just sweep it under the rug. And I think that there's a balance there. And, and Gus, I think, does a great job editorially of making sure that we, we're like, hey, hey, this is what's going on with Ohio State. Joel, how's that affected them this year? Hey, here's my two cents. Okay, here we go, and let's move on. Um, so I'm sure that we're going to touch on a little of that. I'm sure that we're going to have to touch on that, in particular with it being back in the news with the, um, quite frankly, really poor report from Brett McMurphy. I mean, you're, you have a journalistic background. I'm around the journalism industry now. And candidly, I'm pretty surprised at the article that was published this week with the lack of substantiating evidence to publish something like that and those allegations. That was, I was shocked. I'll just say it that way. I don't know if you were or not. I, when I read it, Regardless of how I felt about if it happened or not, I thought that the fact that it was published with the lack of substantiating evidence was surprising. I don't know how you felt. I would love to get your thoughts on that. No, I mean, I, I was intrigued by it because, and, and I honestly have just read the, the base. I haven't covered the story since. So my understanding is the, uh, and, and I could be a little bit off on this, um, but my understanding is his source is the dad, right? Correct. But but the actual player wouldn't go on the record right. and the mom and then, wouldn't go on and the then record everybody else said and, it wasn't true and then every witness from the ohio state side including teammates has said it's not true so right. again i'm at that point you gotta i that's think a, that's a tough i think it's an publish ag- i think it's an aggressive story to run with in general because hearing one person's side now um i also don't know all the background of how it gets vetted and how yeah. many people are involved in it and everything else um, I don't know that it really changes anything. 
you know, in, in my mind, because we, I, I think you would agree with me. Zach Smith, probably not a really great dude. No. And, and that's and, not news to anybody. Yeah, right. And so at at, at, at part, that point in it, time, I don't know that it changes anybody's impressions of what's going on. And there. I feel like because it was McMurphy and not Andy Staples or somebody else yeah. that comes out with this art, it's it feels more personal. It feels more like a vendetta, even from the McMurphy side, specifically against these individuals that he was involved with um, at the beginning of the season. Having said that, let me get back to the original question. Preparing for a game like Ohio State with the storylines that they've been into, I'm doing my best as an analyst to prepare as if I was a quarterback. So I want to know and have a plan for first down. I want to have a plan for second down. I want to have a plan for how I would attack each defense and each offense if I was the defensive coordinator. And then what I'm trying to do during the course of the game is not rely on a bunch of stats and information that anyone can read, but take people into the insights of what's happening on the field. Try to be forward-looking and not backward-looking. So when I start a series, outline, hey, these are the three things that they're doing well right now. Here's how I would adjust and and go from there. Outstanding stuff as always with Joel Klatt. Let me toss it to Eddie Garcia. Find out what's shaking in the world of sports. And let's start with the Geico scoreboard from the NBA where the Magic beat the 76ers 111-106. Philadelphia blew a 16-point fourth-quarter lead in that loss and in the debut of Jimmy Butler just acquired in a trade from Minnesota he finished with 14 points did not score a point in the fourth quarter Lakers over the Trailblazers 126 to 117 LeBron James had 44 points for LA and he also moved past Wilt Chamberlain for fifth on the NBA all-time scoring list in the process Pistons beat the Raptors 106-104 in Toronto on a Reggie Bullock buzzer beater that was former Raptors head coach Dwayne Casey with his new team back in Toronto for the first time. Celtics over the Bulls, 111-82. And the Mavericks embarrassed the Jazz, 118-68. A 50-point win for Dallas. Utah had just 22 points in the entire second half. College basketball, number 18, Michigan wins. A big one at number 8, Villanova, 73-46. Easy wins for top-ranked Duke, number 9, Auburn. 10th-ranked Kentucky, at number 11, Michigan State. And 19th-ranked Clemson, number 24, Marquette, lost at Indiana, 96-7. In baseball, we had a couple of first-time Cy Young Award winners for the league's top pitcher. Jacob DeGrom of the New York Mets wins it in the National League. Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays wins it in the American League. This support's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Back to Jason Martin in the Outkick, the Coverage Studios. Thank you, Eddie. Welcome back in. We are coming to you live from those Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And also a message from Welch's Grape Juice. There are over 400 crushed, decimated, and pulverized grapes crammed into each bottle of Welch's Grape Juice. That pretty much leaves no room for anything else. That means no added sugars. It means no added flavors. And it definitely means no mercy. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes. Great stuff with Clay and Joel Klatt. Clay, of course, doing all sorts of things in and out of meetings, doing Lock It In out there live, wearing crowns on national television, going to see LeBron James. What did you think of the Purple Unis last night, L.A. crew? Were you a fan of those in the home, at home? Um, Not really. You're all about the yellow? Yeah, well, I don't like the the, the stripes, the pinstripes on that. He, he doesn't like the hue of the purple because it, yeah. it leans to Sacramento Kings for us. Uh, do you feel the same way? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do like when teams change up their uniforms slightly. I thought our City Edition uniforms from last year were, were way better than the ones I, they had I would year. have to agree with that. Last year's uniforms were the better ones. The black and gold. Yep. The best alternate uniforms, I think we can all agree, the Miami Heat, the Vice uniforms. Oh, those are so ugly. They should wear – you don't like those? No. They should wear those every night, uh, Danny. No, and the fact that they colored their court the same way is pretty atrocious. But I'm telling you, those Miami things are, are tightness. They are they are the absolute best. Dare you say that they're fly? Uh, no, I'm not going to be saying that. <laughs> Nor are you know 40 year old offensive linemen or 30. However, he's not that old actually. I'm not exactly sure how old he is. He'll be on the show with us tomorrow. Of course, yeah. that's Danny and, and Roberto making fun of Jeff Schwartz. So we're saying you're talking about gear and stuff. Le'Veon Bell left a bunch of stuff in his locker room yesterday, and in his locker. Uh, his teammates came up on loot. We'll tell you about it next. This is Outkick the Coverage. Jay Martin Clay here on Fox Sports Radio. I just want to let Express Yourself play for a minute. Timeless. Welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. Outkick the Coverage Radio program. Thursday edition. Our thanks to Joel Klatt. He was great. He's always great. And he's going to be covering that Ohio State-Michigan game. You can just hear how excited he is to get there for that one and boy it should be a good one and also a good one is untuck it it's never a good look when you untuck a long bulky dress shirt that is why untuck it exists it's also why they named their company untuck it that's why untuck it makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals untuckit.com your solution to perfecting casual use promo code clay that's c-l-a-y for 20 percent savings Clay Travis out in Los Angeles doing television, in and out of meetings, doing all sorts of things. I'm Jason Martin, Danny G, Roberto Flores, Eddie Garcia, Dub Yarbrough comprising the crew, spinning the dials radio style for us all week long here on OutKick. Thanksgiving is next week. I did not even realize it. I knew it was coming up, and then last night I was at a movie screening that I'm going to be writing about a little bit later on today, and... Someone informed me that Thanksgiving was next week, which means I'll be in here again on Thursday and Friday. Somebody that's not going to be anywhere near anywhere for the next several months is Le'Veon Bell. We're not going to get back into that story deeply, but he's gone and he left, you know, some some cleats, some shirts, some stuff in his locker. And basically the team raided it. They ransacked his locker room. Two pairs of Jordan cleats. Bud Dupree, linebacker, says, Appreciate the cleats, my guy. I wish you success, my guy, into a camera. So, is that not evidence of theft? If Le'Veon Bell wanted to collect, Le'Veon doesn't get there, and then it looks like the Steelers don't really want to talk about Le'Veon Bell anymore. And guess what? I don't think anybody really wants to talk about Le'Veon Bell anymore. We'll see where he ends up. I do want to ask one question to the guys out in Los Angeles, especially to Danny because I know that, unfortunately, his blood is poisoned with Raiders all through it, which is just absolute affront to society and needs to be dealt with. Me too. Oh, okay. Sorry, Roberto. Uh, so we have Marshawn Lynch out there, and you've got Jalen Rashard, who's, you know, he gets a couple points in a PPR league, but that's about it at this stage. You don't pay Khalil Mack and you let him go, and he's a terror in, in Chicago. Chicago's in the lead in the NFC North. Would you be in favor of, as part of this rebuild, paying the premium for Le'Veon Bell to be the running back of the Oakland Raiders, drafting a quarterback with one of these three picks, and sort of building the team 
around Bell as you develop a young signal caller under center for John Gruden? I do think that Le'Veon Bell would fit in perfectly in John Gruden's offensive system because he loves those little drop-off, dump-offs, the dink and dunk, the West Coast offense type sets. So I think Bell, because you know all he needs is a little bit of space and he can take it 20, 30 yards and get to that second level. So I think Bell would be great for John Gruden. But would the Raiders want to pay Todd Gurley-type money to a running back? I'm not so sure about that right now. I think the Raiders might be a year away from signing a player like Le'Veon Bell. But you do think they're going to draft a quarterback, right? Man, I don't know. Or do you think they're going to keep Derek Carr? No Raider fan knows, really, because Gruden has had his poker face on when it comes to Derek Carr. I think a lot of it is going to depend on how Carr looks in this home stretch of the NFL season. Really? I yeah, mean, they've already honestly. packed it in. Like, how can you evaluate Derek Carr uh, well, playing for maybe the worst team in the league right now when it looks like nobody on the team even wants to be out there? Because when you're talking about a quarterback who has happy feet and a bad offensive line, we don't know if it's all mental with Derek Carr, if it's still a lot to do with the injury, or is this because they have rookies on the line and they've been a Band-Aid situation on that O-line, which used to be you know, top five in the NFL just a couple seasons ago. Now that O-line is one of the worst in the entire league. Yeah, they got a rookie yeah. left tackle and yeah. right tackle. Yeah, so, so is that the issue? Is that why Derek Carr can't take two steps in either direction? Are you going to defend him? Do you still like Derek Carr? Last year, I remember being on this show and you continually pointed to the coordinator and the scheme and all of that being not in favor of Derek Carr coming back from the injury. Now you're talking about various personnel issues and rookies on the offensive line. Have you not given up on him? No, I haven't given up on him yet. A little upset. What about the rest of your fan base? I'd say it's half and half right now. Like you go into any Raider blog or or article and you read the comments underneath, I would say it's split 50-50 between Raider Nation right now. Marcus Thompson really contextualizes Draymond Green, Kevin Durant situation. It's uglier than you thought. We will get into it again coming up next. Hour number two, Thursday edition. Now kick the coverage radio program, Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com, 24-7, 365 via the Outkick the Coverage podcast. We appreciate you consuming the show, however you'd like to consume the show we are coming to you live from the geico outkick studios for 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance visit geico.com for a free rate quote we're also brought to you by our great friends out at true car car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price list price and invoice true car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience confident show clay travis was with joel clad in the first hour we'll hear from clay again this hour it's something that you've heard before or if you haven't maybe you've heard about it and you need to hear it and if you haven't gone back and subscribed to the podcast which we should tell you yet again you should already have done so we're going to play the second interview with the indian tiger hunter and his name escapes because i don't have it in front of me this time it's nawab shahat ali khan I oh, believe. so close, so close. You sound like Clay trying to say AM570 LA Sports right now. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's something close. he has to say every week. <laughs> I just don't have the name written up in front of me. But, yeah, no, it's not an easy uh, name. It's Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. Shafat. I was close. I was, I was in the vicinity. 
Uh, so let's talk about the Golden State Warriors a little bit. I kind of dismissed this story yesterday, and then I read Marcus Thompson's piece at The Athletic, which really went into more detail about everything that's going on, and it did stand out. But before we get too far into the weeds about this, and I do think this is an intriguing story, if not one that may not amount to much, we'll have to see. It's certainly a problem right now, but the Golden State Warriors are 12-3, and number one in the Western Conference, tied with the Raptors who lost last night for the best record in the NBA. So let's slow down before we say that uh, you know they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. The Warriors are still probably going to win it all. I would say they are going to win it all. But this Kevin Durant, Draymond Green thing is a little bit toxic. If you didn't see it, Clippers game, tie ball game at the end, Draymond grabs a board on the defensive end, decides he's going to run the floor, try to go coast to coast. Instead of passing the ball out, they have a timeout. He doesn't call the timeout. He fumbles the ball away. It rolls out of bounds goes into overtime and they lose. Kevin Durant's on the side, clapping his hands, saying, I want the basketball, pass me the bleeping ball, as a matter of fact. And it gets a little bit out of control. They get into the locker room. Words are exchanged. And we didn't know much more than that. And Marcus Thompson is basically more plugged into the Golden State Warriors than anyone else. And he wrote this long piece at The Athletic laying out kind of what happened. And it started with... Durant addressing Draymond in a way that Draymond took exception to. Who the bleep you talking to was Draymond's response. And then I'm going to read directly from this article. According to multiple sources, Green then went on to make it clear he's been making plays for years. He reminded Durant the Warriors were winning before Durant showed up, so he wouldn't stand for Durant talking to him as if he were a scrub. Green accused Durant of making the whole season about him even though he was going to leave after the season. Green let out his frustrations about how Durant has handled free agency, keeping his options open and keeping the story alive, consuming the Warriors and their season with talk of what Durant will do next. And then he writes, that's the mild version. The original version included Green calling Durant a, well, we'll just say female dog several times, disrespect that management said was too harsh to overlook. Now there's a lot more here. One is that if Kevin Durant is going to leave, and yet you know we differ on that. I said yesterday I think that he was gone. I feel like he he cares about his legacy. He's sensitive. He wants to go somewhere else and try to win a championship, maybe grab another superstar and try to build a team the way LeBron did as opposed to joining a team that had already won a record number of games just because he couldn't beat them up 3-1 to one when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the guy's out in L.A., and and they pretty much disagreed, and they believe that he's still going to be with the Warriors. But what stands out about what I just read you is this sentence. He reminded Durant the Warriors were winning before Durant showed up, so he wouldn't stand for Durant talking to him as if he were a scrub. I read that sentence, and I thought to myself, all right, now that is interesting, because this sensitive Kevin Durant that we've come to know, the one that didn't exist early in Oklahoma City, when that guy was just an ice man and a killer and seemed like the nicest dude in the world, and now all of a sudden he talks a lot and he's leading the league in technical fouls and all of the things that have changed about him, this was needling from Draymond Green. Because in effect, what Draymond Green is saying is what all of the detractors of Kevin Durant said when he left Oklahoma City for Golden State. Basically, without saying it, Draymond Green is in the locker room pointing a finger at Kevin Durant and saying, you gravy trained us for a championship 
We won a record number of games without you. We had already won a Larry O'Brien trophy and championship rings without you. You couldn't do it, and you came here. I'm not a scrub. I've been here from the start. I've also told this franchise I want to be here long term. You're not going to disrespect me that way. And that, look, I don't, I'm not a Draymond Green fan. I'm a fan of his game. I'm not a fan of a lot of his antics. But I got to tell you, what he's saying right there, I don't know if he means it, but if he means that, I would bet that is the general consensus of that Warriors locker room, of the guys that were there for this entire run, rolling their eyes in certain respects when Kevin Durant decided to join the team only because, or maybe just kind of laughing behind his back and saying, yeah, that dude couldn't beat us, so I guess he joined us. And that's what we all assumed. And, of course, there are people that have defended Kevin Durant and said, well, why wouldn't you want to go play for that team? Why wouldn't you want to go join Apple, for instance, if you're somebody that works in the tech industry? Why wouldn't you want to take down Apple would be the argument that, you know, maybe a Michael Jordan or a Charles Barkley or someone like that that's more a purist that said, I would never join a super team would say, and of course Kevin Durant was famously talking about, why are we going to join super teams going after LeBron James before he did the exact same thing and went to Golden State. But one of the other things that comes out in this article that I find fascinating is that it's all about Durant's free agency and that Green doesn't care for, and I bet you his teammates don't care for the fact that Kevin Durant is sort of hanging this over their head because he does want this you know, save KD and Golden State kind of tour. And later on in the piece, Marcus Thompson writes, Durant's teammates have made it clear privately they aren't on board for another please stay KD tour. And Durant has said he doesn't want to be recruited. But the decision to suspend Green publicly seems to be a signal for management that they do care about recruiting Durant. Management holding fast to its stance that Green crossed a line that can't be crossed. Some say it's just Draymond being Draymond. What you do see in this, based on the fact that Draymond Green was suspended for this instead of just being fined a few thousand like he was after the Steve Kerr comments and that blow up a while back, and they still have sort of a frosty relationship, is that management is siding with Kevin Durant over Draymond Green. They're going with the guy that they acquired, one of the three best players in the league, maybe the best player in the league by some metrics, over Draymond Green, a guy that's been there forever. Even Clay Thompson spoke up at, to try and kind of bring down the level of vitriol during that situation. Clay Thompson never says anything, and it actually did diffuse the situation. And Clay Thompson in the locker room, per multiple accounts of some of the players that were there, said, We all want to win. That's all this is about. We all want to win. I think we're the only team that can beat us. Nobody else can beat us. So let's go kick ass, unquote. Clay Thompson never says anything, but he says something there. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green's futures could be with the Warriors. Maybe it's somewhere else. I continue to believe that Kevin Durant's going to play somewhere that's not in a Golden State uniform next year, even with the new stadium and all of the reasons that you would want to stay there. But Hearing some of this or reading more of this story, does it matter more to you guys that we're saying that Durant's going to stay with Golden State when we were sort of arguing back and forth about it yesterday? Are you more likely to think that Durant would leave based on this? Because it does come across as if Draymond Green and Kevin Durant have a major impasse between the two of them that's going to have to be worked out one way or the other. 
The one question I would ask is how much do the Warriors' ownership and management like Kevin Durant? Because aside from Draymond's feelings for him and the and the little B-fits he's thrown and the arguments he's gotten into on the court, because remember, this has happened before between Draymond and, and KD. Happened a couple of times last season, and, and it was less covered in the media. But now it's a big deal because I think this was more in everybody's face because it happened out in the open and then what happened afterwards with the suspension for one game. I think they can get past this, but I'm wondering what the ownership of Golden State wants to do with Draymond moving forward. If they want to sign KD again and they think that Draymond is really the problem, then maybe they'll move green somewhere. I mean, I could definitely see Draymond leaving even though he wants to stay. One other thing in this article, another quote, with what was said, there is already no way Durant is coming back, one player said. The only hope is they can say, meaning they, the management, can say this summer, CKD, we got your back. We protected you from Draymond, unquote. That's an unnamed Warriors teammate commenting on the situation. And then Marcus Thompson writes, of course, Green now has to be wondering who is protecting him. He is the one committed to the Warriors. He's the one who's given everything. He's the one who's declared he wants to stay with the Warriors. He was one of the founders of this dynasty, and he built it with the same fire that scolded Durant on Monday. They know who he is. They know it's only a matter of time before he owns up and makes amends. Why was this time so unbearable? Why was this offense the final straw? It's hard not to wonder how Green and Kerr, who have such a volatile history of love and hate, get through this. It must be measured how deep the crack is in Green's allegiance to the Warriors now that Myers, in the front office, who with Curry is Green's biggest supporter in the franchise, has signed off on this stance that led to the suspension. Quote, is this a referendum on Green? If so, did they just lose him? If not physically yet, spiritually. Did they just signal to him he's the all-star they are willing to part with? And does that quench his fire for the Warriors? Unquote. It's a great article at The Athletic. Maybe we will continue uh, to talk about it here. Our telephone number, by the way, is 877-996-6369. That's 877-99 on Fox. We haven't taken any phone calls this week, haven't even really given out the number. But if you have thoughts on that, we will get to you. We are going to play Clay's interview the second interview that we had with the Indian hunter that Danny was able to land his weekly appearance, right, Danny? Weekly appearance of um, Shahad Ali Khan. Yeah. yeah. Shahad Ali Khan. Yeah, Nawab. Um, you were close again. Third time yeah. to charm here. Uh- <laughs> AM 570 Ali Khan. <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, so, um, I and I explained this a little bit yesterday, that when we got the news over that weekend, uh, this was a couple weekends ago, that he and his son, Nawab and his son, finally did get this Tigress. I get, right. a, I get a text from Clay on Sunday saying, hey, uh, try to get that Tiger Hunter for hour one. <laughs> and it was awesome because, it, like you mentioned on the show, it, would, it was the equivalent to Clay texting, hey, get Alex Marvez for hour three. Yeah, and, uh, and by the way, we're going to have Alex Marvez in hour three. <laughs> we sure are, and I was <laughs> able to get Nawab for that hour one. It was not easy. I had to send emails all that Sunday night. I had to wake up early that next Monday morning and start calling India 
at like 2 a.m. West Coast time. And after an hour of text messages and emails and getting a hold of the agent again, they finally were able to drive him away uh, to where he had some cell service and he was able to join the show. And you'll hear that interview coming up next. I'm looking forward to it. I didn't get to hear it originally. Before we can get to that, though, got to tell you, there are more antioxidants in Concord grape juice than in acai or blueberry juice. Acai and blueberry farmers, if you want as many antioxidants, you could do what Welch's farmers do. You could grow your fruit through the whiteout winters of Washington, of Michigan, and even of upstate New York. You could also stay up all night and prune the hardiest vines. But even if you did all that, you still would not have the world's toughest antioxidants. So maybe you should just swap those acais and blueberries for Concord grapes. Welch's, tough as grapes. Tiger Hunter, next. Outkick, Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I was trying to figure out the purpose behind the song, which I like anyway, and then I realized it's perfect. Well done, Roberto. We're going to play the second interview with Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. Coming up, I'm looking forward to hearing it because I missed it live. Welcome back, by the way, to the Geico Outkick Studios. This is the Outkick, the coverage radio program, Thursday edition. I'm Jason Martin. Clay Travis kind of popping in and out this week as he's out in Los Angeles doing meetings, doing Lock It In Live, doing all sorts of other appearances, being Clay Travis, basically. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. As well, a message from Welch's Grape Juice. The Concord Grape is the perfect grape. It needs no added sugar, no added flavor. Also, the perfect size, the perfect consistency for being smashed, crushed, ground up, and pulverized into delicious antioxidant-rich juice. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's tough as grapes before we play the nawab shafat ali khan interview let's go ahead and grab eddie garcia now and let's go out to los angeles find out what happened last night in the world of sports eddie take it away all right let's uh, give you a geico scoreboard from the nba as we check games of note the magic beat the 76ers 111 to 106 now philadelphia blew a 16 point fourth quarter lead in that one and they also lose in the debut of jimmy butler recently acquired in a trade from minnesota he had 14.0 in that fourth quarter lakers beat the trailblazers 126 to 117 lebron James had 44 points in the win. He also passed Wilt Chamberlain for fifth on the all-time scoring list. Up next at number four is Michael Jordan. Pistons get a Reggie Bullock buzzer beater to beat the Raptors on the road 106-104. That was the return of Dwayne Casey, former Raptors head coach, now Pistons head coach, back in Toronto for the first time. Celtics over the Bulls 111-82. All five starters scoring in double digits for Boston. And the Mavericks hammer the Jazz 118-68. That's the worst loss for the Jazz since they moved to Utah they had 22 total points in the second half. College basketball, nice win for 18th-ranked Michigan on the road at number 8 Villanova, 73-46. Easy wins for top-ranked Duke, number 9 Auburn, 10th-ranked Kentucky, 11th-ranked Michigan State, and number 19 Clemson. Number 24 Marquette was beaten by Indiana, 96-73. And in baseball, we had a couple of first-time Cy Young Award winners for the league's top pitcher award. Jacob DeGrom of the New York Mets wins it in the National League. Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League. And the NHL season continues tonight with the Vancouver Canucks at the Minnesota Wild. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern, and that's our Discover Card key matchup. Speaking of matchups, become a new card member, and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Back to Jason Martin in the Outkick, the coverage studios.
Thanks, Eddie. We're coming to you live from those Geico Outkick Studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss anything, but we can't let you miss this. It's the second of our interviews with the India most famous rogue animal hunter. It's Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. He got the tiger. Let's hear the story. All right. This was a massive story. We have gotten so many tweets. We got so many people reacting to it. What is the story out of India? So late Friday night in India, the man-eating tiger named T1 was shot and killed. Now, the plan was to tranquilize the man-eater, but according to the hunters that tried to capture her, she roared and charged after being hit with a tranquilizer dart at short range. So they just had to do what they had to do, and they, they shot the man-eater down. So this is a big deal. Uh, we have gotten, I mean, maybe one of the best, maybe the best interview we've ever done. We had uh, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, who was the uh, the most esteemed tiger hunting uh, killer in all of India. And this was his son ended up, like, it's, it's like a family thing. It's like the Gracies. The Gracies were like the UFC champs who never lost. This is like the, uh, the tiger killing uh, is something that is passed along from one generation to another. It was Nawab's son who actually killed the tiger, right, as he charged, as this female tigress charged the uh, the jeep that they were in. Danny G. What do you think I might have for you right now? Do we have Nawab? Yes, we do. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. All right, so let's go ahead and bring him up. This is an incredible. We've tracked down uh, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. He has killed the man-eating tiger, T1, the tigress that killed 14 people. Nawab uh, Shafat Ali Khan, congratulations. I can't believe we got you. Tell me about it. Thank you very much. It was a very, very challenging operation that we went through. And uh, thrice the tigerists came charging at us almost 10 meters. And we made all attempts to tranquilize her. But ultimately, even the dart was fired. But she was so ferocious and angry that the moment the tranquilizing dart hit her, she turned and charged at us. And my son, Azgar Ali Khan, who is 35 years old, stood his ground and shot her with the 458 Winchester Magnum from 10 meters. And that brought the end of the man-eater India was searching for for past one and a half years. So were you in the Jeep when the, when the man-eating tiger was shot? Yes. She had come to the same village where she had killed three people in September. And the people out there were terrified. They called the forest department and hurriedly a team was set up and sent in an open Jeep. While they went there, she got into the bushes. And after some time, the forest team with my son located her. And as the dart was fired, she turned and came for us all out. And they fired in self-defense for them killing the tiger. How many people were in the Jeep? There were five people. One was the forest authorized officer who was firing the tranquilizing dart. There were two foresters to identify the tigers. One driver and my son, Azgar Ali Khan. What does it feel like when a tiger charges you? Oh, it can be very, very unnerving. You're seeing death straight in the face. Because an angry tiger, when it roars and comes for you, 
you're seeing death in the face and it comes like an arrow. A tiger, angry tiger, charges so fast that the eye cannot focus on it. And it's just point and shoot. And it's the survival of the quickest. Either you fire and get the tiger or the tiger gets you. How many times have you yourself shot at a tiger as it charges you? Well, I have shot three tigers in similar situations and several leopards, uh, man-eating leopards. In fact, last year I shot a leopard which had killed seven people and that leopard charged at me and I was on the ground walking and tracking it and I shot that leopard from three meters. How long, did, when you, when, that's unbelievable, when you shoot an animal like that, how long does it take for your adrenaline to come back down and for you to feel normal again? I imagine it is such a high-stress moment that it takes a long time to come back down to normal, the way you normally feel. Yes, it's quite an unnerving experience. It affects my sleep even the following day. And uh, when I close my eyes, that terrifying charge comes back to me all over again. And it takes almost two to three days for one to be normal. Do you have nightmares about tigers and leopards and animals charging you, given what you have done for a living for so long? Yes, I do get nightmares. But now, having done it for 40 long years, and having faced rogue elephants and man-eating tigers and bear coming close, it's become a way of life for me. And I have dedicated my life for the cause of those poor Indians who suffer in silence, whose family members get killed and maimed by these rogue animals. For people who did not hear your interview with us last time, and I appreciate you joining us live from India, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, what is your title, and how did you become the person who was in charge of trying to track down this man-eating tiger, T1, this tigress, that had killed 14 people? I'm uh, the, probably the only licensed hunter in India whom the government relies upon whenever they are in a tight corner because we have very strict conservation laws, and... When a rogue, uh, a rogue elephant or a man-eating tiger uh, gets out of control and continues to kill people, first option is to try and tranquilize it, then to try and cage it. But in these processes, uh, the animal continues to kill people, and when we land up at 14, 15 human deaths, then there is revolt, and the government finally turns to me and then it becomes my job to follow the animal on foot in thick bushes where it's taking cover during day, where it's feeding on a human body. And several times I have had to collect limbs, hands, legs of dead bodies, put them in a bag and bring them for postmortem. What was the reaction in the village and all over the area of India where the tiger had been stalking people when people found out that you and your, your, your son had killed this tiger? Oh, there was jubilation and bursting of crackers, and my son was virtually carried from village to village, and um, he was garlanded, and he was carried from village to village, and people were extremely happy that the problem was over 
children had not gone to schools for three months and people had not stepped out of their houses after sundown. Crops were ready for harvest and nobody could go in and harvest their fields out of fear of the man-eater. We're talking to Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. He's been tracking a man-eating tiger that killed 14 people in India. You have been trying to catch this tiger or kill this tiger for how long? We were there for almost 40 days. But before we reached the spot, the uh, state government and forest department and veterinarians, they were trying to capture it for one and a half long years. We read about this in our New York Times newspaper here in the United States. They talked about the use of the obsession cologne as something that the tiger found irresistible. Did that help in any way in your mind this uh, hunt come to success, successful conclusion? No, it didn't work. These things don't work on Indian animals. The Royal Bengal tiger is an extremely intelligent cat. And these things don't work. We have to rely on traditional tracking methods, traditional stalking of the animal on foot in extremely thick bushes. And uh, that is the only thing that works for these dangerous man-eaters. What would have happened if you had tranquilized this man-eating tiger? Where would it have gone? Even assuming it was tranquilized, it would have gone to a rescue center for life imprisonment. And I know that there are some people who are upset. I'm not one of them. When I hear that there is a man-eating tiger, I think you have to kill the tiger. What would you say to people who are upset that the tigress had to be killed? You see, the people who are upset have vested interests. Most of the animal rights activists have a vested interest. They have NGOs and they have funding from abroad. Nobody who's a genuine conservationist will approve that a problematic tiger or a leopard should remain in the system. This is very much against conservation ethics. Because if we allow one problematic animal to survive for long periods of time and feed on innocent human beings, then the entire human population of that area becomes anti-wildlife. They begin poisoning tigers. So in the long run, we have to think of saving the tiger, not a tiger. Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, they just killed a man-eating tiger in India. He came on with us uh, several weeks ago. I want to go back to what makes a tiger start eating humans. They don't naturally eat humans. We aren't typical prey for tigers. You have trekked and, and gone after tigers and other big cats for your entire life. Why does a tiger start to kill humans, and why do they continue to kill humans once they start? The basic factor that drives them to man-eating is stress. In India, we have more tigers in small, small pockets of forests. And tiger is a territorial animal. When their numbers increase, the ratio to land-to-animal ratio, they come out of the forest and they are into agricultural fields. Here, they don't get the required base prey the wild boar, deer, and all that, what a tiger generally feeds on, 
is not available outside the forest. So they start feeding on domestic cattle. That brings them closer to the shepherds and the villagers. And in this process, they lose the natural fear they have for man. And once this fear is demolished, they begin to see man as a natural prey, as a monkey, as, as, a, as a goat. And then they begin to stalk a man. This particular tigerous T1 used to stalk old women who would return to the village in the evenings. I have had her pug marks superimposed on an old lady's footprints for more than a kilometer. That was a week ago. So once they become man-eaters, they realize that man is very easy to kill. A man cannot smell a tiger like a deer can smell. A man cannot run away from a tiger like a wild boar can run. So killing a man becomes very easy, and man doesn't have a thick skin like other animals have. So the tiger and its cubs can start feeding very, very comfortably. So once they kill a man, they realize that killing this species is easy, and they continue to kill whenever they get a possibility of killing a man. What about the cubs for the tigress? I know that you told us last time that she had two cubs that maybe also were feeding on people. What will happen to those cubs? Yes, those cubs are sub-adults now. They are almost 11 months old and as big as a jaguar you have in U.S. And they have also been feeding on human beings. Now I have made a plan to capture them alive. We are giving them baits now and trying to localize them. Once they, localize, once they are localized, we'll try and tranquilize them and move them to a rescue center before they become blown-out man-eaters. Now, how do you know that you got the right tiger? All tiger, tiger stripes are like our fingerprints. No two tigers have the same pattern of stripes. So we have enough and more camera trap images of this man-eating tigerous T1. And she was compared in the lab after she died, and the report has come that she was the problematic animal we were looking for. That's fantastic news. What will you do now? So I know you're going to come to the United States eventually because we want to have you in studio for a big discussion uh, to talk all about this. But what will you do now? Where are you and what is your next assignment? My next assignment on the agenda at the moment is to safely capture the Cubs because the Honorable Supreme Court of India has directed me to safely tranquilize these Cubs and move them to a rescue center. So that is top on the agenda. And once that's done, then I have a few more assignments waiting for me. There are some problematic elephants in Northeast India, which we have to tackle. And hopefully by New Year, I should be over with my, uh, with my projects here and wait for an invitation from you to come and share a dice and share my videos, and talk to my brothers in the U.S. We cannot wait. Stay safe, Mr. Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. Congratulations on getting that man-eating tiger, and we can't wait for you to come to the United States and share your stories with us in person.
Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. So they got the tiger. Danny, when is Clay going to ask you to fly him over here and get him in a hotel in Los Angeles <laughs> into the Sherman Oaks studio so that he can just come in there and meet him? Because I assume he's just going to drop that on you on Sunday and hope that he's there an hour or two. I'm thinking that, um, you know, instead of you filling in the next time Clay ah, is like on a trip, he will just text me and ask me to have Nawab get on a microphone, an ISDN line somewhere in India, and fill in for him. Yeah, Eat. I don't know what I Piece don't know if cake. Nawab. I, I I don't know if Nawab is going to have a real good take on Vikings Bears, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I could definitely be wrong. I mean, that Monday night oh, game knows is all about one of the Bears. biggest games in NFL history since the merger. <laughs> he would know about Bears though. What about Rams? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. He knew about monkeys too. Did you see the story about the monkey? Yeah. That we were sent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We well, got to do, we do we that gotta, next. You want to do an Animal Thunderdome? Yeah. Let's do a little Animal Thunderdome coming back. This is Outkick. Clay's out in Los Angeles. I'm Jason Martin. I'm here in Nashville. The crew's out in L.A. Dubs with me here in the Music City. We'll be right back here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. Outkick the Coverage Radio Program Thursday edition. Clay Travis in Los Angeles. I'm Jason Martin here in Nashville. We're brought to you by Lowe's Black Friday deals. They're already on at Lowe's. Right now you can get up to 40% off appliance special values along with free local delivery. All projects have a starting point. Why don't you start with Lowe's? Offers valid through November 29th while supplies last. See store for details. U.S. only. So we teased monkeys, so we got to deliver monkeys. Let's do some Animal Thunderdome. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet and stricter stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny, we teased monkeys, and there are a couple of monkey stories out there. One is awfully dark. I don't know if we're going to go there, but there's another monkey story as well. Yeah, lots and lots of listeners have tweeted us this story about a monkey killing a newborn baby. I am not going to cover that story, so you can Google that if you're interested. It's on brand for you, Danny. No, I learned my lesson. What was it? A couple of years back, I read a story where there was uh, a couple of children who had died, and you guys branded me like the dark news deliverer of Animal Thunderdome, and I've it's never... It's all right to be Voldemort, Danny. I've... It's all right <laughs> no. to be he who must not oh, be dare you, Danny. Show. No, I've never read a story like that again. So let me go to the other story. This is right in our wheelhouse. A growing yeah. wild monkey population in central Florida has experts on edge because... These primates are carrying a dangerous herpes B virus that can mm. cause severe brain damage and even death in humans. The rhesus monkeys are being found in Silver Spring State Park, which is in central Florida. And they're worried that these monkeys are going to double by number by 2022. Right now, the population is about 300. You might be wondering how these monkeys got to Florida because they're native to South and Southeast Asia. Well, they made their home in Florida in the late 1930s when six rhesus macacus were allegedly released by a boat operator who was hoping to use the monkeys to start an exotic attraction. 
This according to the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. So, so is the boat operator rolling with herpes? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's my question. I'm guessing he's dead if this happened in the late 1930s. Like the last thing Florida needed was more herpes as a state. I mean, Gainesville has been the syphilis capital of the world for I don't know, a couple of centuries. They wear jorts and they have STDs down there. <laughs> I don't know that we needed to add herpes monkeys, but maybe we can let them loose in the swamp and see if Dan Mullen could do something with them. These, Stuff's out of hand. <laughs> these monkeys have been here for 80 years, and they didn't choose to come here, so I don't think it's fair for us How to How did get... they get here, Danny? That's the question. Well, you know why? This is you know Debbie, what they did? This is Debbie they Walters. They took a vegetative raft. <laughs> oh, no. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> this uh, Debbie Walters woman from uh, Captain Tom's Custom Charters told National Geographic that she doesn't think it's fair to get rid of them because they didn't choose to come to Florida. Captain Tom or Captain Stabbing? Anyway, <laughs> I've got another story. Police in Paris seized a lion cub spotted posing for selfies inside a green Lamborghini with a man. The 33-year-old man spotted taking selfies with a two-month-old lion cub along the Champs-Élysées. I just butchered that. Eli say, the driver, an employee of a company that rents out luxury cars, arrested on allegations of keeping the illegal exotic animal, the lion cub. This is why I wanted to read this story. Is named Putin. Was taken in by the 30 million friends animal charity. The Lamborghini was returned to the rental company. This is the second lion cub that's been seized from Paris. One in a Lamborghini, one from an apartment. Over the last three to four weeks. My question is this. If you've got money for a Lamborghini, I'm not putting something with claws inside my Lamborghini with that upholstery. I've never even looked inside of, an, of a Lamborghini, but I have a feeling I would not want a live animal in there. Would you put a lion cub inside of a Lamborghini? Definitely. Because if you, if you have a Lamborghini, that means you I guess have, you have money to burn. Well, right? yeah, you have exotic taste, which means you're also going to want exotic animals. Guess what you can't do in France and maybe anywhere else? You uh, can't have an exotic animal inside of a luxury car. So, arrest for the 33-year-old guy trying to take selfies. Instagram's going to bring us all down, folks. We should just decry social media for the remainder of the show after watching this. We'll get back into Seahawks and Packers in Hour 3. We'll also talk to Alex Marvez. Hopefully he's not in Florida, or I need to warn him about these monkeys. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. The Outkick, the coverage radio program, Thursday edition, also brought to you by Discover Card, where we treat you like you treat you. And also True Car. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident, car buying experience we got alex marvez coming up he's confident this show's confident danny g eddie garcia roberto flores w arbro that's four confident dudes i'm jason martin clay travis is really confident he's out in los angeles all week we uh, heard from him and joel clatt in the first hour of this show so before we move forward we've played over the last two days the two interviews with the indian tiger hunter the indian big game hunter nawab shafat ali khan 
And if you miss the last hour, it's a good reason to subscribe to the podcast because you never miss anything on this show. And you can do that with all the Fox shows. But definitely join the millions that are already subscribed to the Outkick the Coverage podcast through iTunes or whatever it is that your podcast catcher is of choice. You can consume this show, and we'd like you to, however you best would like to do so. But there is an update out there to this story that we were getting tweets about over the last several minutes, and it's just kind of broken today. I'm not sure all of the specifics because there's a lot of moving parts today. Let's bring in Dub Yarbrough. I believe he's our T1 expert and find out the latest. Expert indeed. This is news out of New Delhi. A quick update on the two cubs of the man-eating tigress who are orphaned now, obviously. Uh, they've been found in a forest in western India, mm. and they look healthy, which I don't know if is good news or not, <laughs> but... uh Word on the street, they're they're gonna they're gonna try to be rescued and rehabilitated. So we have eyes on the offspring. So we're gonna have to just wait and see what Nawab and his crew are able to do with the two tigress cubs. Danny, can we get uh, Nawab that. Shafat Ali Khan on in about ten minutes? We can bump Alex Marvez. Let's get him on. Thank God Clay is busy on the FS1 TV lot right now because if he was sitting in the main studio chair as Norm. He definitely would be sending that message to me in the chat room. Like, go ahead and get uh, Nawab set to go right now so we could talk about the Cubs. Yeah, well, I mean, the Cubs got knocked out by the Rockies, right? hey yo. Yeah. Uh, so, two Cubs are still alive. What's your take on this, Danny? You're sort of the guy that, you know, lined up these interviews. How do you, f- how do you think Ali Khan feels about this? Well, he said that he was commissioned to tranquilize the two Cubs so they could try to be rehabilitated. So let's hope that that's the case because these are youngsters just starting their lives. We don't want to see them put to death. So we now have our West Coast folks, you know, well, there's the overnighters that are with us all night long, and then there's those that are waking up for their day. And last night was a milestone. LeBron James, fifth in scoring in NBA history, eclipsed Wilt Chamberlain, had 44 last night. Did it in front of Clay Travis, who was there. Lakers now 8-6. and six. They beat the Blazers. A nice win for them. And now there's news over the last few hours that Rajon Rondo is out for three to five weeks. Could be longer. A fractured third metacarpal in his right hand. Luke Walton revealed it after the 126-117 win at Staples last night. Rondo's going to see a specialist later on today to see whether or not surgery is going to be required Lakers are operating this from ESPN, operating under the assumption that Rondo's out three to five weeks, depending on the decision to undergo surgery and the recover time. It's believed that the fracture came during a fourth quarter steal off of Yusuf Nurkic with about 8.24 left in the game. Rondo then stayed in the game for three more minutes. He hit his hand on the floor when he went to steal that ball, according to his coach Luke Walton. So... No Rajon Rondo for the next couple of weeks, maybe for over a month. What does that mean out in Lakerland to you guys? I have felt like that Lonzo has been better when Rondo has not been around. And we've seen a lot of good things from Lonzo. And we've seen some things that you don't like quite as much. But obviously Lonzo Ball is going to be out there a lot more often. You know where Rondo has been very useful for the Lakers is in the huddle. And as far as the locker room, his veteran leadership. And I know that 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 term gets thrown around a lot. But in this case, it's been true because there's been times where Walton steps back and is quiet and Rondo's leading the team in the huddle. 
that Tyson Chandler signing has just become that much more important. Yeah, because, true. Yeah, because with Rondo sitting out now with that broken hand, that means Tyson Chandler is going to have to flex his veteran leadership muscles even further. Yeah, that turns out to be a really nice addition, and I'll, uh, I'll let you talk here in just a second, Roberto, but it's actually in this article and in a lot of articles. Lonzo Ball said he's a true leader about Rondo. Lonzo started the last 12 games, but obviously he's going to be out there even more. He's going to take a big uptick in minutes. But Rondo has actually, some of the players have even said, you know, he's basically like an extra assistant coach. He's been out there helping Lonzo. He's helped Brandon Ingram. He's been out there with Kuzma. So what you're saying he has not been a negative influence at all on this team. He's somebody that cares a lot about winning, except when he was in Dallas, which just seemed to be a bad fit. In general, you didn't hear a lot. Remember how he felt? He also felt like a leader last year in New Orleans. Like It felt like he was sort of a galvanizing force and certainly somebody that you absolutely trusted in, in crunch time and in clutch time to make the right play with the basketball. has unbelievable vision, and it was certainly helping Lonzo Ball and his development Ball's going to have to play more, but you're right, and you guys can comment a little bit further. Tyson Chandler, being a veteran that has a lot of respect, commands a lot of respect, and knows the game very well, that turns out to be a real blessing to have acquired him when they did. I think uh, the Rondo signing kind of taking minutes away from uh, from Alonzo, and uh, we've got to see these guys. We've got to see these guys. we got to let them play. We've got to let them grow and see what, see what they have, what they're made of. I think this is going to, it's going to help Alonzo. I think it's, it's going to help him. Lonzo was actually hitting his threes. Yeah, exactly. Last night, which was nice to see. Yeah, Rondo's averaging nine point three points, six point eight assists, four point eight rebounds, one point one steals going into last night's game. So he's been doing kind of what he does. He's not out there to score. Every once in a while he'll get you a bucket, but he's gonna give you a solid pass six or seven times to get you buckets. He will go out and get a couple of dirty rebounds. He will go out there and pilfer, and unfortunately, his 1.1 steal average might have been the cause of this hand. But how how much better do you feel about Lonzo Ball as a Laker fan this year than you did even at the end of last year? Like, how many strides do you look at and say, "All right, this guy is really poised to explode this year," or do you still see things that you really don't like about Lonzo's game? I think it's hard to tell right now because yeah. we're still too early into the season. I think that LeBron has been a really good big brother to Lonzo so far. And so we'll see if it continues to help Lonzo progress on the court because you know what the problem with Lonzo was last year, Jason. You commented a lot on the air about it. He was way too passive. He wasn't yes. He wasn't on the court during crunch time, which was, you know, everybody scratching their head like, hey, this dude's a top draft pick. He's supposed to be the next coming, in, and he's not even on the floor when the game matters the most. Now he's he has a chance to grow with one of the greatest of the of all time in LeBron. Is he going to blossom into what Laker fans thought he was going to be in year one? We'll, time will tell. We'll find out by the halfway point. And if he's finally out there, and this is going to be the question mark, if he can continue to drain those threes and play well when he's actually on the floor, when Rondo's healthy – does that mean Rondo's going to come off the bench and suddenly Lonzo's one of the key cogs in the Lakers' starting lineup? I mean, I think that's what you want, right? I think you want Rajon Rondo to kind of be the guy that comes in and leads that second unit. Yeah, you want but to also the leads exactly. from the bench. Yeah, absolutely. Like Oklahoma City was probably at its best when James Harden was coming off the bench, and then you had guys like 
Manu Ginobili in San Antonio that voluntarily took himself out of that starting lineup for Greg Popovich and then came in and was a gigantic spark plug on all sides of the floor for those Spurs teams. You could use that with L.A. Lonzo can be your Jason Kidd type, the guy that's really starting to develop. He was really the anti-Kobe last year in terms of just lacking a killer instinct. All of the oxygen was sucked up by his father. This year, I don't even hear anything about his dad. The last time I saw something about his dad was like him and, was it him and Kanye that were together or him and somebody overseas at a game, they saw each other and they talked for a little bit. And that's the last thing that you heard about LeVar Ball. Lonzo is actually able to kind of come out of his shell just a bit and you're around LeBron James you now know it's his team. A lot of the pressure is also off of Lonzo Ball at the same time. So this is what you should see. You should see a guy that's starting to play a little bit more free and clear and have more just built-in confidence because he's got one of the two to three best players in the history of this league on the floor with him, still contributing at an extremely high level. So I think all signs look pretty positive for Lonzo. There was certainly talk during the offseason Lonzo, by the trade deadline, would not be a part of this roster. I don't feel that way right now. I don't know if I'm alone, but I feel like Lonzo might actually be in L.A. for a long time. Yeah, and let's start a rumor this morning now that the West Coast is waking up. let's do that. Shouts out to our affiliate in the Bay Area, 95-7 the game. How about the Lakers' Rob Palenka calls the Warriors' front office and takes Draymond Green off their hands? If you had Green in the lineup with LeBron James, and I know that they, they used to be nemesis, but what if Green was added to the Lakers mix? Would would you see a Western Finals appearance? If you get Draymond Green, then you've got to let some of these other crazy guys go. Like, you can't have... I don't know that you can have Lance Stevenson and <laughs> Draymond Green and Rondo... And JaVale. And JaVale's actually played pretty well. How and good, JaVale, though? How good have those role players actually looked, though? Before the season started, what did you hear? Oh, this ragtag bunch of players put together by Magic and Palinka. They got a bunch of misfits. There hasn't been any problems out of any of these guys. No, there really haven't. And JaVale McGee, you know, he's he's always he's kind of gotten tagged with that shacked in a fool deal where everybody just waits for him to make mistakes. Yeah, but the Warriors the actually miss him. Exactly. Yeah, and the thing about JaVale year. McGee is the reason why he and Shaq kind of got into it is because JaVale felt like he was hurting his career. JaVale wants to play basketball. And I kind of was just like, ah, just let it go. It doesn't matter. You know, it has not hurt me that I didn't make it into work because of snow on the ground. By the way, it snowed today and I made it. So take <laughs> yeah, that. Job. Golf clubs. But uh, yeah, absolutely right. But JaVale McGee is actually a talented basketball player. That's sort of the thing that I think has been lost in all of the blooper reel about JaVale McGee is that he can play. And you're right. They do miss him in Golden State. And the Lakers, I think, are are better with him on the floor. I mean, I haven't watched every minute of every Lakers game because it's West Coast and I'm on the East Coast and have to be up early. But I've been impressed with JaVale kind of just fitting into this roster and playing hard and doing some of the dirty work in the paint. I like him. I think he's done a good job there. Now, you're right. all the talk you really yesterday. You haven't heard any stories yet about any of these yeah, guys. Yeah, no. They've all been getting along really well, and it's nice to see the chemistry. And And I've been watching the Backstage Lakers program, which is on Spectrum Cable here in Los Angeles, and the chemistry, the camaraderie that those guys have with LeBron 
he's like the big, big brother, and then he's got the youngsters. And just watching them interact and goof around and having fun on the road, you could tell that they genuinely all get along with each other. And that's been really nice to see because the Lakers have missed that in the past few years. So I know that even some Laker fans were sour on the LeBron signing at first, especially the big Kobe honks. But now, and I got some tweets when I woke up from those same Laker fans saying, you know, I really didn't know what to think about the LeBron signing. But now just that feeling of knowing that the Lakers can win any, they have a chance at least of winning any game when they step out on the court feels so nice. And so even those staunch Kobe guys are coming around right now. Also, isn't it interesting? We've got Alex Marvez coming up uh, after this break talking NFL, but isn't it interesting that you expected this season to be this reality show out in Los Angeles? And really we're just watching them play basketball and try to congeal and, and find out what they have as they try to gel together as a unit. But the drama's not with that team. It's this Golden State story. It's Carmelo Anthony and what's happening in Houston and how badly that's going. It's Jimmy Butler being unhappy in Minnesota and then finally having to get rid of him and send him to the 76ers. There is a lot of drama in the NBA, and almost none of it is in L.A., which I don't think anybody would have predicted going into the season. The Lakers are just out there playing basketball, and they're over 500. And LeBron James is now fifth on the scoring list after a 44-point performance last night and nine-point win over a pretty good Blazers team. Yeah, the only, So it's starting to look all right. Yeah, the only drama was in the beginning of the season when they started off slow, but ever since then, uh, the drama has been less. Yeah, and these other stories are starting to emerge. Uh, we'll have Alex Marvez coming up after the break. Before we can get to him, though, there have been over 75 studies in the last 10 years examining the health benefits of grape juice, and that begs the question, why so many studies? Who exactly has been studying this stuff anyways, and why would they do over 75? Why did they spend a whole decade of their lives just studying the health benefits of grape juice? Maybe nobody's ever going to know the answer to any of these questions, or maybe it's just this simple. These scientists just really loved grape juice. I love grape juice. The world's toughest antioxidants. Welch's toughest grapes. Marvez next. Outkick. Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. The Outkick, the coverage radio program Thursday edition. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay Travis out in L.A. We heard from him and Joel Klatt earlier on in the show. I'm Jason Martin, formerly the executive producer of this show. I fill in when Clay's out. I'll be in next week, at least for Thursday and Friday's shows as well, alongside Jeff Schwartz. We bring in my good friend Alex Marvez on Twitter, Alex Marvez, if you want to follow him. Hey, Marv, how are you, buddy? J-Mart, impressive resume. You should just keep going. Tell us what you did in high school, grade point average, college, all that stuff. You're rolling, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling, and I could just spend minute after minute doing that, or I could, you know, check myself and not let pride get the better of me and talk about the NFL with you. So we got three pretty good primetime matchups this week. Packers-Seahawks, almost a knockout game in some respects. Seahawks lose and the Rams win. The Rams 
will win the West. They will clinch the West already. Rams, Chiefs on Monday, Vikings, Bears on Sunday. But starting tonight, which one of these two teams needs this win more? Well, gosh, I mean, really, it's almost equal in that regard. Like you say, like you can almost consider it a knockout game. And and listen, you look at the division, and I get it. No one's going to catch the Rams. I mean, realistically, the Seahawks, they would lose the tiebreaker head-to-head even if the Rams were to suffer an outright collapse and they finish with the exact same record. So let's not kid ourselves about that. But when it comes to the wild-card race, Seattle is very viable. You know, the, the, the fact that the NFC West just isn't as competitive a division as the NFC North works to their advantage. Now, I wouldn't, I, if Green Bay loses, gosh, I, I mean, it's just, it's going to be tough for them because of the fact Minnesota and Chicago are just two better teams right now. And the Packers are just sputtering along, right? I mean, they did get the running game going last week against the Miami Dolphins, but the Dolphins have struggled to stop the run all season. So I don't know how much of an indication that is that they'll be able to have some success against Seattle tonight. And for the Seahawks, getting Chris Carson back is huge. And by the way, and listen, I love Fox Sports Radio, and I understand how the business world works. But to have the Green Bay Packers have to fly 1,900 miles on a short week, you want to talk about stacking the deck against Mm -hmm. the team? And we have a league that talks about player safety and things like that. Uh, You know, that puts the Green Bay Packers in a really tough spot. You know, having to do that type of travel, they are not. They're going to be without Randall Cobb for sure. Uh, you know, for the Seahawks, health is a little bit better. Chris Carson set the play tonight. By the way, the Seahawks uh, have three different hundred-yard rushers this season. Very interesting on that. J. Mart Rashad Penny finally showing up last week. A hundred-yard performance against the Rams. Two hundred seventy-four yards on the ground last week by Seattle. I expect them to try to continue that type of game plan tonight. Yeah, what you were just saying about the Seahawks running the ball—they're actually averaging the most rushing yards in the league. Right now, 152.2, which I don't think anybody would have figured. And then the Packers are averaging 5.2 yards per rush. They've got Aaron Jones. He's on my fantasy roster. And Mike McCarthy (laughs) still doesn't want to run this guy. Yeah, you know, Mike is always a little reticent. You know, very he's been known as a pass-heavy type of coach. But, you know, look, I look at it like with Sean Payton as well. When these guys are at their best, there's balance. And Aaron Jones, listen, he missed the first two games of the season serving a suspension. And, you know, they were just insistent, it seemed, upon playing Ty Montgomery for a while. Well, you know, it's funny how all that works out, right? And Ty Montgomery did himself in with the Packers. But look at what happened in Cleveland with, you know, Nick Chubb. And basically, John Dorsey, the GM's like, play this guy. So, and when Hugh Jackson wouldn't, well, they made it real easy by trading Carlos Hyde away to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had no choice but to play Nick Chubb. In this case, really, by trading Ty Montgomery, he had no choice but to play Aaron Jones. And he is a good running back. I mean, he averaged, you know, I mean, he was averaging chunks, you know, against the Miami Dolphins, 15 carries for 145 yards is, I think, what the total was. And he's a Mm -hmm. decent pass catcher out of the backfield. So we'll see if they're able to get that balance. You know, Green Bay secondary, though, young, beat up, ha-ha Clinton Dix got traded. And I know he wasn't part of their long-term plans, but you just get the feeling the Packers are this team that's really stuck in neutral. And that doesn't bode well for Mike McCarthy because the narrative over this team. And it's funny, we don't talk about how, oh, well, Russell Wilson has only won one Super Bowl title during his time with the Seattle Seahawks, right? But for Green Bay, it's this this overarching, well, Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. He should have 12 of them by now. And that falls on Mike McCarthy. And if if this team falls short of the postseason, I just don't know if Mike is, is back in 2019. I saw Peter Schrager tweet this out. I think they're talking about it today on Good Morning Football, which is a fantastic show on the NFL Network, and Schrager is a big uh, big friend of this program. But they are debating today whether or not the media gives Aaron Rodgers too much of a pass because apparently that's a narrative that's starting to emerge. Where do you fall on that debate? I'm not a fan of either of the two things that you just plugged. Uh, on top of that, I'll just go on the record of saying that. Um, but that being said, the media giving Aaron Rodgers a pass. Aaron Rodgers is 
physically, the best quarterback in football, and he plays in a system that places more stress upon him than just about any quarterback in the NFL. Think about it. You know, this guy drops back. He's holding onto the football for what? Five, six, seven right. seconds, you know, for plays to unfold downfield. The wide receivers have to be on the same page as him mentally. But what if Aaron Rodgers played in a more quarterback-friendly offense? And when I say that, something that's getting the football out of his hand more quickly. You know, you think about Ben Roethlisberger and how things changed for him when he went from the Bruce Arians offense that, you know, required these long, big dropbacks, and then he's holding on to the football forever, and then, boom, at the end, he takes this big hit and he gets blown up. Well, that was what happened with Aaron Rodgers as well. So, you know, that's why I just think with Aaron, you know, and, and people will get, and look, I like Mike McCarthy. I like him personally. I like him professionally. Yet look at the success the team has had through the years. An incredible run from the, of the postseason from 2009 all the way until last year. But times change in the NFL. Things change. Offenses change. Defenses change. you got to change with it. And I just sort of beginning to wonder, is this offense that Aaron Rodgers is in good enough to take him to where he needs to be? I don't put it on A-Rod. A-Rod is still unbelievable. When you got two minutes left in a game, you need to win. You want to put the football in the sands because you figure he's going to deliver. So I, I am not going to criticize Aaron Rodgers. I think he's above that. Yeah, I don't want this to be an NFC North interview, but I also want to, because I feel like it's it's kind of criminally under-talked about, and I don't know that most NFL fans around the country are paying attention to the fact that the Bears are in the lead in the <laughs> NFC North, that Khalil Mack is back healthy, that quietly Mitch Trubisky is playing good football, that Tariq Cohen is getting the job done, that they've got this receiver back that's one of the ten best in the league, and Matt Nagy is doing a hell of a job in his first season with everybody talking about McVay and, and all of the offenses, and certainly with good reason. Matt Nagy is a pretty solid mind of himself, and the Bears, somebody needs to start paying attention to the fact that the Chicago Bears might actually be pretty good. Oh, they're really good, and think about it. As Khalil Mack gets more and more comfortable, gets back from that ankle injury, how much better they're going to continue to become. Listen, they've also had, finally, a run of good health. You know, I mean, that's been something that's been affecting the Bears in recent years, but, you know, you get the feeling. Like with Green Bay, they're, they're sort of a middling team, right? I mean, they, they may have peaked, you know, under Mike McCarthy. Uh, I'm not sitting here trying to beat up Mike all morning, but that's just reality. The Detroit Lions, look, the double-digit double losses, right? And, and they're going nowhere fast at this point. They've got some issues as they try to become uh, the New England of the Midwest. Good luck with all that, guys. Uh, you know, and then we got the Vikings, a team that's built to win now, right? You, you don't pay Kirk Cousins the type of money you did with a guaranteed contract if you don't think you're ready to go you know, right now, this season, next season. They're on a three-year cycle there with him in Minnesota. But for the Bears, I mean, the, the best is yet to come. And I know they gave up their first-round pick to the Raiders, J-Mart, you know, for next year. And, and also 2020, they do get a second-rounder back in 2020. But think about it. Mitch Trubisky's under a rookie contract. That's going to allow the Bears to continue to build around him. And I would imagine the offensive line is an area that's going to get addressed in the offseason. You know, Jordan Howard, you wonder how he fits in in the long term because he's not a good pass catcher running back. He's just, you know, a, he's a really good solid rusher, but just not great catching the ball out of the backfield. But I think as the, the roster continues to get transformed, this Bears team is going to continue to get better and better. And Mitch Trubisky has really improved as a quarterback. And I think when you look at Sean McVay with the Rams, you look at, at Matt Nagy and the job that he's done uh, with the Bears, this is what makes it so interesting with the Cleveland vacancy coming up. Because whoever John Dorsey hires, and I don't believe that Greg Williams has a snowball's chance of getting that job at long term, even though he'll get the interview as a courtesy by John Dorsey, but you've got to feel good about, okay, what offense is Baker Mayfield going to play in? Can we get the type of production out of him that Sean McVay's gotten out of Jared Goff, that Matt Nagy's gotten out of Mitch Trubisky? Who's that next quarterback whisperer? We might be seeing him on the opposite side of the field when the Bears play the Vikings uh, coming up uh, you know, on, on Sunday night. 
because John DeFilippo is one of these hot candidates that you mm-hmm. think, wow, you know, he's been an OC. Maybe he'll be the next head coach. So that's why I'm bullish on the Bears. I really am. Starting week one when he played Green Bay, you just almost, while the Bears lost the game, you almost saw passing of the torch, J Mart, at that point about what team is on the rise and what team is sort of being left behind. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Alex Marvez, our guest here on Outkick the Coverage. When you're looking at coaching vacancies and you're talking about Cleveland and you've got Baker Mayfield and you've got some some pieces there, certainly Nick Chubb doing his thing, I'm looking at guys like Steve Wilkes and Todd Bowles and all these folks. I think that all of them are probably going to be looking for new work probably sooner rather than later. Are we moving to a trend where we're going to see basically offensive minds given chances to run teams instead of defensive minds, especially in franchises like you've got Josh Rosen or you've got Sam Darnold. Don't you want the quarterback whisperer making those decisions as opposed to putting guys in there that are defensive minds that might not be ready or qualified for the jobs they have? You know, it's just how you construct your staff. I mean, in the case of Carolina, for example, right, you have Norv Turner. And Norv is probably, I mean, probably not going to get another head coaching opportunity, right? But he's someone who's a really solid offensive coordinator who you feel good about developing a guy and you know those veteran coordinators if you come in as a coach and you you know for a head coaching interview and you say this is my offensive coordinator and you feel pretty good that you're not going to lose him to another opportunity elsewhere as a head coach well that's pretty strong let me give you an example Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay maybe mm-hmm. I don't think Dirk's going to survive there right but gosh I mean you're talking about a team Jay Bart, they put up 501 yards of offense last week 29 first downs and they scored three points, okay? Yeah. But you get my point that this is, more, this is the number one offense in football, yet there's other things that they don't do well. Well, if, you, if you're a head coaching candidate and you say, okay, I've got this guy on my staff, Dirk Cutter, and you feel pretty good that you're not going to lose him again to another team, you can hire that type of guy. But I'm with you. Everyone's looking for the hot offensive coach. You know, we, John DeFilippo is going to be there. Listen, Mike Munchak is going to draw strong consideration of the Pittsburgh Steelers because his offensive line is just that darn solid. He has previous head coaching experience, no-nonsense type of guy. He'll be a nice flavor of the month for somebody to come in and, and try to get things together. I'm just not big on I say flavor of the month. I hate to be this way, but I'm just not big on offensive line coaches as NFL head coaches. The last offensive line coach to take his team to a Super Bowl was Bill Callahan of the Oakland Raiders wow. back yeah, back in Super Bowl 37. So it just has not been a great track record of success there. You're going to see names in the college ranks come up. Obviously, Lincoln Riley already being associated with the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to be a hot pick, in, potentially in Cleveland, to get reunited with Baker Mayfield. I wouldn't be surprised if Urban Meyer starts showing up on some radars. Jim Harbaugh is always going to be that guy. He's our, our modern-day Nick Saban. Are you leaving, Jim, this year? And there'll always be rumors about that, and Asian will leak it out there to try to generate more money from the University of Michigan, you know, that type of thing. And Matt Campbell at Iowa State is another guy who's mentioned as a potential pro coach. But where are we at with, with the coaching field next year? I just mentioned all the guys. There just isn't – that's the thing about, about, you know, this head coaching search is coming up. I think some teams are going to have to hustle, man. I think they're going to have to move really quickly, get some guys – that they feel good about to come in because I just think the coaching pool really weak when it comes to head coaching candidates in 2019. Alex, I was here. I watched Titans-Patriots in person on Sunday. Clay did as well. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, not anything anybody expected. Maybe not the, the Patriots lost. They haven't been good on the road this year, but how convincing the victory was at 34-10. to I've got the Patriots when I'm just looking at them. I'm not looking at the numbers right now. I like the Steelers better than them. I like the Chargers better than them, and I certainly like Kansas City better than them. How do you feel about the Patriots right now? Uh, Patriots, they were tired. They were really beat up. Listen, this was a team averaging 36.3 points a game over their previous six contests until they played Tennessee. And I'm, I'll get to Tennessee in a second. I talked with Mike Brabel last night. I have some information there. But yeah. you know, for the Pats, 
buy comes at the right time, J. Mark. You know, some teams, you it's like, man, you know, early season buy, it just kills you. Fortunately, for the, on the Patriots end, the fact that they now get to rest up some. Think about it, last week, no Sony Michelle, right? I mean, he played, but he wasn't Sony Michelle. You know, no Rob Gronkowski. You know, no Shaq Mason, who's a really good right guard. I mean, there were a lot of pieces missing on this Patriots team. Kudos to the Titans. Listen, they took care of business. They, they dominated on special teams. Marcus Mariota looking like a franchise quarterback. And listen, I know I've been, I've been tough on Matt LaFleur. His offense the past couple weeks has been clicking. They found some really good things that they're doing well there. But I just think for the Pats, this was just a beat-up team. Now, here's the thing with New England. When they're at home, they're, they're like you don't beat them, right? It's so right. tough to go to Foxborough and win. So we're looking at a team right now that's the number three seed. they got to catch Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh has to stumble along the way. You look at the Patriots' remaining schedule, it's not all that impressive. You get the New York Jets twice. You get Buffalo once. You play the Dolphins in South Florida, and I know that's been a rough go of it for New England in recent years. But if the team, if they beat Pittsburgh in Week 15, I mean, they're probably hosting at least one playoff game in the second round, and they're going to be back in the AFC Championship game. So that's just how it is with, with New England. You may not like them. Like, if you played on a neutral field, maybe these other teams this year are better than them. But if they get that home field advantage, it's just so huge for that franchise. I mean, they got as good a chance as anyone of going to the Super Bowl. Alex, always a pleasure, my friend. I'm sure you'll be talking to Clay next week. Or actually, no, you might be talking to me because I'll be in next week as well. It's always good to know. talk to you. Though. You never know. It's Fox Sports Radio. You spin the wheel. You take your chances, Sonny boy. No problem. All right. All right, Alex. Have a good weekend. That is Alex Marvez, at Alex Marvez on Twitter. Let's bring in Eddie Garcia. Let's find out what happened last night in the world of sports. Eddie. And we started off with the Geico scoreboard as we check finals from the NBA. And games of note, the Magic beat the 76ers 111-106. Philadelphia blew a 16-point fourth quarter lead in that loss. And they also lost in the debut of new player Jimmy Butler. He had 14 points just acquired in a trade from Minnesota. Lakers topped the Timberwolves 126-117. LeBron James had 44 points to lead LA to the win. He also passed Will Chamberlain for fifth on the all-time NBA scoring list. Up next is Michael Jordan. Pistons beat the Raptors in Toronto 106-104 on a Reggie Bullock buzzer beater. Dwayne Casey coached the Raptors last year, got fired, wins in his first game back in Toronto, now coaching the Pistons. Celtics over the Bulls 111-82 was the Mavericks embarrassing the Jazz 118-68 a 50-point win for Dallas. It's the worst loss for the Jazz since they moved to Utah. College basketball rematch of last year's title game. So number 18 Michigan went easily at number 8 Villanova 73-46. Also wins for number 1 Duke, ninth ranked Auburn, number 10 Kentucky, 11th ranked Michigan State and number 19 Clemson. Number 24 Marquette was beaten by Indiana 96-73. In baseball we had a couple of first time Cy Young Award winners for baseball's top pitcher award. Jacob DeGrom of the New York Mets wins in the National League. Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays wins it in the American League. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Back to Jason Martin in the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. Thank you, Eddie. We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part figuring out which way is easier. When Eddie was running through that litany of college basketball scores, I continued to think to myself, man, it is too soon for college basketball. I've watched a little bit of it this week. I just can't. I'm just not there yet. I agree with what Doug Gottlieb said yesterday. It should be a one-semester sport. Just like the NBA should start on Christmas Day. I've still got football on the brain. Now there's all this NBA drama. I just can't care about college basketball's regular season right now when I know 
that any losses aren't going to really matter for all the teams that actually have a chance because they're going to get into the NCAA tournament, at which point all bets are off, and then we can start really paying attention to what's happening. Keep paying attention to what's happening on OutKick. We will finish up the day. We will predict tonight's matchup, talk a little bit more NFL. This is OutKick coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Really interesting that Roberto comes back with Come As You Are. I've got something to say about that here in one second. But first, welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. It's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. Go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code CLAY for 20% savings. Clay Travis out in Los Angeles. He will rejoin us on the show tomorrow. I'm Jason Martin here in Nashville. Danny G., Eddie Garcia, Roberto Flores, Dub Yarbrough, comprising our OutKick crew today, doing a great job spinning the Dodge radio style for us. So you came back with Come As You Are there. And yesterday, really good article that I suggest everybody reads if you're a fan of pop culture, especially of music. Alan Siegel over at The Ringer wrote an oral history of Nirvana's famous Unplugged in New York, which is basically 25 years old right now. It aired on November the 18th, 1993. So it's been 25 years since that MTV Unplugged. And this is a very like long-form oral history. It's called Three Feet from God, an oral history of Nirvana Unplugged, over at TheRinger.com. Highly recommend that you check that out. Tonight we'll all be checking out Seahawks and Packers. Four and four Packers with Aaron Rodgers, four and five Seahawks with Russell Wilson. Rodgers, 2,741 yards passing, 17 touchdowns, just one interception. Russell Wilson, 1,967 yards, 21 touchdowns, five interceptions. Again, both these teams rush it well. Seattle with the most rushing yards per game of anybody in the league, which I don't think you would have predicted or expected me to say as a fact. And Aaron Jones in Green Bay, he's got 73 carries and four touchdowns on the year, almost 500 yards. That team is averaging 5.2 yards per rush. Maybe they should consider doing it a little bit more. Guys, this is a fun game. It's a You don't like the records as much as maybe you wish you would. At the beginning of the season, you were hoping maybe both these teams would be above 500 by the time they got to this matchup. But... It's certainly better than some of the Thursday night matchups. It's far better than that dog that we got on Monday night. I asked Alex Marvez who needs this win more, and the truth is both of them. The Packers are in third right now in the division behind both the Bears and the Vikings who will play on Sunday night football. The Seahawks, should they lose and the Rams beat the Chiefs on Monday, the Rams clinch that division already, and then Seattle's looking at a wild card, and they're below five hundred. Which team do you like? Do you like Seattle because they're at home, Green Bay's having to come across the country on a short week to try and play them? Or do you look at the Aaron Rodgers effect and say, yeah, you can't count out Aaron Rodgers? You can never count out Aaron Rodgers. But I would think that the Seahawks are still kicking themselves because at the L.A. Coliseum, they were in position to beat the almighty Rams, and that late fumble killed them. They shot themselves in the foot. That was the point where they could have turned their season around because they came on late here in, what, their last four or five games. So the Seahawks, I think, are the hotter of the two teams. The fact they're at home, that's not going to stop Aaron Rodgers and the other Aaron, as you mentioned, 
if they can establish that run game, then this is going to be close. But what happens is the Packers get behind, and then the other Aaron takes over, and they stop handing off the ball. Yeah, I I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I don't see it being one team walking too far away from the other. Seattle's a three-point favorite right now. It's a minus three spread, at least as a consensus pick right now, which basically means they're a six-point favorite because you get three at home. It's a really tough place to play, especially on a short week. Russell Wilson missed a throw. You mentioned you mentioned the fumble, but Danny Russell Wilson also overthrew one on the run, and you don't expect him to do that. If he does that, they get a first down late in that game, and they have a chance to maybe still win it, even with the fumble, but don't get the opportunity. And Russell Wilson almost never misses the kind of throw that he missed in that situation because he's generally so good. But you are getting Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson tonight on Thursday Night Football. You could do a lot worse. There's a couple of NBA games that you can watch during the commercial breaks as well over there on TNT. It's a college football game tonight. So there's a lot of different things that are going to be out there to see. I just look at the Packers situation, and I say to myself, they did beat the Bears in a game maybe they shouldn't have won with just one of those crazy comebacks that was exacerbated by the fact that the Bears shot themselves in the foot, to borrow your uh, phrase there from a moment ago. But the Packers have to find a way to keep pace. If they fall to 4-5, and five, their chances of winning the division continue to dwindle. I just look at them both and I say, I still believe you talked about Danny the Carolina Panthers, and I'm with you on that. I think Carolina's going to be fine. I think they're going to get one of the wild cards. And then it just is a bunch of teams that are flawed. 4-5 and five, Cowboys, 4-5 and five, Eagles. Could be 4-6 and six, Seattle Seahawks, maybe 5-5. Five and five. Four and four Packers right now, maybe they're four and five. This second crop, and I think we can discuss this in a lot greater detail tomorrow because we'll know a little bit more after we watch this game, and we'll talk to Jeff Schwartz tomorrow as well, and Clay will chime in and he'll have his thoughts also on the show tomorrow from Los Angeles. This is a fascinating matchup tonight. Both these teams desperately need a win. Seattle, about a 61% chance to win, just according to the FPI, the Football Power Index, and 538.com as well. That game's going to kick on Fox tonight at 8.20 Eastern Time. Should be a good one. Should be something to watch tonight on TV. We will discuss it and talk about the fallout of that, plus what happens with the Golden State Warriors. All that tomorrow on OutKick. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits 
LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 